Hi there. Thanks for joining our podcast at Renew Church OC. We're a church for imperfect people only. This is Pastor Wilson. We're continuing through the book of James with our theme for the next two weeks being how to use your voice. We live in a society where it's celebrated to say anything, to text anything, to troll anything. But Christians are to use their voice in a really different way. So when we think about politics, commenting on threads, or talking to our brothers and sisters in church, how are we using our voice in a way that glorifies God and advances His kingdom? Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everyone. I hope your group discussions went well. Uh, my name is Kenan. I'm the favorite intern here at Renew Church. Uh, and uh, we're going to be entering into a, a two-week series on how to use your voice. All right, and I have the privilege of uh, kicking us off, and Pastor Dave um, will be preaching next week. And, you know, when I think about our voice and, and words, I feel that over the recent years that, that words have lost their value. We see it everywhere we look, in politics, in media, on the internet. There are so many instances where it's hard to believe people's words. For me personally, I've, I've really been struggling with mainstream media. And just to preface, I didn't really keep up with national news before moving out here to SoCal. I wasn't until, it wasn't until COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and Black Lives Matter movement that I really began to listen to and read more on what the mainstream media was saying and writing. But in doing so, I realized that there are so many polarizing views out there. There's the leftist or, or liberal news networks or the right-wing and conservative news networks uh, who are all reporting on the, same, on the same things, on the same topics, but they have different facts or, or cover a different side of the story. Right? And, and it's so overwhelming to me because like, I don't know who to listen to and I don't know what to believe. So I had to learn how to read and listen to things with a grain of salt and to look more into what the actual facts are, especially with the things that I initially agree with to avoid confirmation bias. And to be honest, I think that's sad. It's sad to think that we can't trust media outlets to provide the whole story when it's their job to report the truth. Their words, which used to be filled with truth, have now become empty. And I've seen words using I, I've, I've seen words losing their value in my life as well. Uh, moving here to California, I met a lot of great people, you know, many of whom attend our church. But I can't count how many times that I've been in a conversation with someone and you know we're getting along really well and we say to each other like, oh, you know, we should hang out more or we should grab coffee. But then we don't ever like talk to each other again, right? Or the amount of times that I've said, you know, I'm good, or I'm doing, I'm doing great. Um, during a small group or catching up with a brother when I'm definitely not doing good or not doing great. Or the times that I've said that I was going to be at a certain place at a certain time, knowing full well that I was going to be late. You know, and if you want to fact check me on that, you can ask Luna, because she knows that more than anyone. And these are all small examples of what we in our heads call just being polite. But in reality, they are empty words. You know, these white lies are, are empty words. And 
sadly, it doesn't stop there. I've seen words lose. Uh, I've seen words lose value in larger ways throughout my life. In some friendships and past relationships, empty words were the nails in the coffin, uh, which which ended those things. And I think if we all look back and reflect on it, we can remember these these moments in our life where our words, whether whether big or small, were empty. But is that how the Bible describes our words? Was anything that Jesus said or did empty or meaningless? If you look at today's passage, James informs us of the importance of our words. Uh, We're in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And starting with verse 1, it reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, there's a lot to unpack here today, and we'll walk through uh, this passage together to, to broaden our understanding of what James says about our words. So let's start with verses 1 and 2. In, in verses 1 and 2, James uses this word perfect to describe uh, those who have no fault in what they say. Right? And when we think of perfect, we think of someone who doesn't make mistakes. Right? Uh, and it, it's, it's one of the seven instances in his letter where, uh, that, that he uses this word. Right, but but in the Greek, uh, the the word is tra- of the word translated to perfect is teleios or tamim in Hebrew. And if you want to fact check me on that, you can ask Kevin or Irwin because I'm retaking beginning Greek one. <laughs> so they're your uh, Greek experts. But when, if you ask them what what teleios means, they can confirm that it it doesn't refer to what we think of not making mistakes, but it refers to this idea of wholeness. And this idea of wholeness uh, means to live a fully integrated life where your actions and words or your, or your outer being is consistent and reflects your values and beliefs or your inner being. And James recognizes that, that many of us live as fractured and inconsistent beings who think or believe one thing and then say or do another. And this is evidenced by the different types of teaching, teachings in his letter. Uh, teachings like favoritism versus love, what genuine faith looks like, true versus false wisdom, our divided hearts, the restoration of others, and all these different teachings in his letter give us a picture of what wholehearted devotion to Jesus looks like and how we as followers and believers in his, his, in his ministry and teaching can begin our path to restoration where our inner being is reflected through our outer being, 
where our beliefs and our values are, are reflected in our words and our actions. And it's in this passage where he illustrates the importance of our words in that regard. So let's take a look at verses 3 and 4. James uses two different symbols to illustrate the influence of our words. It reads, When we put the bits of mouths into horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So this brings me to my first point, that our words influence the course of our lives. Our calling, our identity, our, our purpose here on earth, how we view ourselves and how we view others are all just a few important things that our tongue, this, this tiny, seemingly insignificant part of our body, has influence over. Uh, earlier last year, uh, I had the opportunity to ride a horse for the first time. All right, it, was, it was a crazy and beautiful experience that uh, I will never forget. All right, I was in Iceland with a couple buddies of mine, and, and we stayed at this Airbnb that, that happened to be a horse ranch. And uh, our host, her name was Louise, she was a super nice lady. Uh, if you're ever visiting Iceland, I recommend staying here. Uh, she, she asked us if we wanted to check out the stable where, where they keep the horses, right? So, of course, like we said, yes. And, you know, as we were petting, uh, as we were visiting the horses and petting them, you know, giving them names, like, you know, uh, any, like the things that normal people would in this, in this, uh, in this situation, she asked us if he wanted to take a few of the horses out to check out this frozen river a few miles away uh, with one of the trainers. Um, so we said yes, uh, and she linked us up with uh, one of the trainers who happened to be her oldest daughter. Uh, and the tra- like her oldest daughter was only 17 years old, but she knew so much about horses and was a great teacher. Uh, she, she told us that the most important thing between us and the horses was communication. And that in order to communicate to the horse, we use the reins, right? So she, she, she instructed us on how to, how to mount the horse, how to make it start walking, how to make it start galloping. Um, and the thing that we wanted to hear the most, you know, how to make it stop. Um, and, you know, then she told us our route and then we were, and then we were off, right? And, you know, as, as, we were, as we were going along, you know, I realized, like, how hard it is to... Uh, ride a horse because every little movement that I made like the horse would respond to right and like as I was looking at my friends like who are just trotting along this nice like paved path like here I was like directing my horse to go into like this ditch next to the road right and like it would follow me like I I thought like the horse would have common sense but uh like it just it just obeys and uh and it's because, you know, every little movement that I made, the, the horse would respond to it. And uh, there was even this one point where, like, as I was adjusting my seat, I kind of whipped the reins, which to the horse meant, oh, Kenan wants me to start galloping. But at the time, Kenan didn't know that the horse was going to start galloping, so it took, took me by surprise. Uh, so I made, you know, so I made it stop. Uh, but, you know, eventually I got the hang of it uh, and was able to direct the horse, you know, while using the reins. And I can honestly say that riding a horse at full galloping speed through a snowy path was probably one of the most exhilarating times of my life. But from that experience, I learned an important lesson. 
that the horse will go wherever the reins lead it. Whether led on a nice, even path, like my friends, or into a ditch like me. You know, whether, un- whether intentional or unintentional, the horse responded to where I led it. And in that same way, whether intentional or not, whether life-giving or not, our words influence our life and the lives of those around us. For those of you that know me, uh, I'm on a path to becoming an army chaplain. I'm in my second year at Talbot, interning here at Renew with uh, Kevin and Irwin, so we're just goon squatting both things. Uh, but I also joined the chaplain candidacy program, and I'm expected to be a chaplain candidate uh, in the next uh, few weeks. And Thank you. And, <laughs> and all these things point towards the direction of ministry and chaplaincy. But I wouldn't be where I'm heading today uh, if it wasn't for the people in my life who spoke words of encouragement. All right, it was first a thought back in basic training, right? Everyone, uh, everyone was tired, everyone was missing home. But I remember specifically my buddy, Private Kramer Vega. Like he told me that he thought that I would be a good chaplain because, um, because I, I listened well to people. And, you know, even though it might have been a passing comment for him, I remember, I remember those words specifically. And then fast forward when I got back home uh, and... Would, would have family gatherings. My, uh, unc- my aunties and uncles would joke around that, oh, Chaplain Kenan or, you know, Kenan's going to be a chaplain because they would want me to pray for the food, right? Uh, but, you know, it was because I was volunteering at, uh, I was volunteering uh, in ministry on campus at UH Manoa and as well as serving in the Army Reserve. And then a couple years later, um, during one of my annual trainings, my captain sat me down and told me, uh, to take the next few days to plan my life, right? And she said that, you know, this is a really important thing for you to do, and, you know, I'm going to support you in this, right? I want to know how to support you. So I took those few days to, uh, to talk to my close friends and, and, and my young adult pastor and, and ran this idea of being a chaplain, right? And they... And they were so encouraging to me. And if it wasn't for their words of, cur- of encouragement, I wouldn't be where I'm heading today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here in California. I wouldn't be speaking with you uh, this Sunday. I, wouldn't, I probably would have stayed in, in Hawaii where I was comfortable and be one of those people that Zoe talked about in her testimony. That, you know, growing up in Hawaii, it's so easy to just, to just stay in your bubble, to, to know what's comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, for me, I felt that it was, it, I wasn't growing in it. But this life that I have now, this path that I'm on, it was influenced by the words of encouragement in my past. Those words allowed me to believe in myself and be bold enough to step out and pursue this calling that God has placed in my life. And their words of influence, uh, their words influence the course of my life for the better. So was there a time that someone said something to you that influenced the course of your life? That made you see yourself in a different way? That made you feel hopeful or maybe or maybe made you feel helpless. 
you know, I'm so grateful that that Zoe shared with us her testimony and, and her journey to being baptized. As her brothers and sisters, uh, it's amazing that we have this opportunity to celebrate this victory in her life with her. But looking back at her story, we see how the power of one single word affected what the, the, the next few years of her life would look like. How one word influenced the way that she thought about herself, how she thought others looked at her, leading her into this dark season of her life. Right? And I think that this is the power of our words that James illustrates in verses 3 and 4. That although our tongue is a small piece of our body, it can have a drastic effect on our lives and the lives of those around us. We can either bring life to ourselves and others or hurt ourselves and others with just a few words. And that brings me to my second point that a few words have power over our lives. James writes in verse 5 that likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, here we see James use this imagery of fire. And, and fire is one of the most destructive elements, right? Every year it takes lives and, and homes and, and landscapes and wildlife. And it's so powerful that, that it alters everything that it touches. And from November of last year to February of this year, Australia experienced a devastating wildfire that consumed 72,000 square miles of land before it was finally extinguished. And to give you an estimate of what 72,000 square miles looks like, it's roughly half the size of California. So, you know, the entirety of NorCal or the entirety of SoCal just, you know, up in flames. And the extent of the damage to the environment is still being looked into, but it's estimated that one billion animals have been displaced or killed. And that they think that uh, the cost of dealing with the fire and, it, and its effects um, will exceed $4.4 billion. All right? And all this was caused by a spark that became a flame and in the right conditions became a wildfire. And, it, and in turn, our words can be as destructive. Not just the ones that we say to others, but the ones that we say to ourselves. I think the biggest lie that I struggle with is that of inadequacy. I fall, and because of it, I fall into the sin of comparing myself to others and, and, and see how ahead they are or how successful or how much better looking or fit. And I turn to myself and I ask, you know, why can't I do that? What is wrong with me? And by constantly asking myself these questions, I'm straying further and further away from the identity that God has given me and the purpose that God has placed on my life. The time that these thoughts were so rampant in my head was, was during my freshman year of college. When entering college as a freshman, you know, you, you enter in all doughy-eyed and hopeful, like ready to take on the world. But it's there where you kind of get hit with the reality 
right? You get a glimpse of how much bigger the world is and how much smaller you are. You meet all these great people who, who have done these great things and, and, are, and are really talented in whatever their craft is. Uh, so it's really easy to fall into the trap of comparison like I did. You know, and I've, and I've seen people respond in healthy ways, right? That comparison will give them the drive to, to hustle, to, to work on themselves and improve themselves and be productive. But unfortunately, for others, they respond um, in unhealthy ways. They tell themselves lies that, you know, that they will never be good enough or that they should just give up or that they'll never make it. You know, and, and, and sadly, freshman Kenan was, was one of these people. Uh, whenever I was in class, I would, I would feel so small and, and lost when looking at my other classmates because they seemed like they, they had everything together, right? They were on top of assignments. They, they got the material, like, really easily. And whereas, where, whereas I, like, was, was struggling. And, and by c- comparing myself to them, I began to tell myself lies. You know, lies like, I'll never be good enough. Or, I'll never make it because my peers are so much smarter than I am. Or, that I should just give up. And, and all these lies were, were seeds of destruction in my life. And from these seeds sprouted fruits, fruits of destruction, like addiction, or more lies, or, or apathy. You know, I stopped caring about school, or at least that's what I told myself. Uh, I would lie to my parents' faces uh, by telling them, you know, class was going well when, you know, I, I don't even know what chapter we're on because I haven't been in so long, right? I, I played so much video games and, and just engulfed my life in it that I would miss midterms because I was just so focused on, on playing these games that I was playing. You know, and, and at the end of the year, I found myself at the lowest point in my life so far. Um, I was kicked out of the engineering program on academic probation. My parents didn't trust me for obvious reasons. And I, I wasn't on that great terms with my friends, uh, but, but most of all, I was lost. And, I, and this is a snowballing effect of our words. That the small lies um, that, we, that I told myself during that time had a huge and lasting impact on my life. Every I'm not good enough, every I'm not worthy to be loved, were small seeds of destruction that, that grew and bore fruit of addiction and apathy that led me to my lowest point. And to this day, like, I still struggle with forms of addiction. And I think that's the destructive power that our words hold. That, that words maintain a hold on our life, whether we know it or not. You know, so what are the kinds of things that you say to yourself when you're alone? Do you belittle yourself? Do you say that you'll never be loved or are unworthy to be loved? Are you planting seeds of destruction in your own life? In verse 6, James warns us of the destructive nature of fire by comparing it, uh, destructive nature of our words by comparing it to the destructive nature of fire. Our words, like fire, affect everything around it. By judging ourselves and others, by gossiping and, and spreading rumors, talking behind each other's backs, our seemingly small words can destroy our lives, 
our relationships, and our communities. And it may seem small or insignificant at the time, just little white lies. But all it takes is a small flame and the right conditions to burn down a whole forest. And while fire can be destructive and terrifying, it can also be one of the most life-giving elements. And we've seen it throughout human history. It's been used for cooking, to generate heat and light, to signal others for propulsion purposes, smelting and forging. And it's argued that the use of fire is what made us human. That without it, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have the life we have today. And like how fire has changed and propelled the, the course of human history, our words have the power to influence our life and the lives of those around us for the better. So what are the, so what are the kinds of things that, that you are saying to yourself and to others? What do your usual conversations look like? Do you choose to use your words to bring yourself and others down? Or are you choosing to use them to lift people up and build relationships? You know, if our words have the same destructive features as fire, they can have the, the same life-giving features as well. Our words can either be used to bring people down or bring restoration to our families, our friendships, our communities, and most of all, ourselves. God used his words to speak creation and life into existence. And during his ministry, Jesus spoke life into the people that he encountered every day. And the story that comes to mind with Jesus is, is the woman caught in adultery in John 8. And in this story, uh, you, you don't have to turn to it. I'll, I'll just give you a rundown of what happened. Uh, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus and said that she was caught in the act of adultery and that she needed to be stoned because, of the, because it says so in the law of Moses. And as they, as they turned to him and asked what he thought, Jesus proceeded to draw a line in the ground with his finger and said in verse 7, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. After they heard that, the crowd dispersed, and Jesus turned to the woman and in verse 10 asked her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So looking at this story, we see Jesus speaking life into this woman. Instead of condemning her and, and, and casting that first stone, he chose to love on her and forgive her and gave her a second chance. And Jesus' words of love and forgiveness reflected his character of love and forgiveness. That what he believed and what he valued was consistent with what he did and what he said. So as images of God and followers of Jesus, how are we choosing to use our words? Are our words empty? Do they reflect the destruction we are experiencing in our hearts? Or are they full of love and, and give life to those around us. You know, I've been, I've been attending Renew for a while. And you know that our motto, our motto is uh, for imperfect people only. And reading these words is what encouraged Zoe to step out of her car and be invited into this church that we call Renew. 
But do we as a church speak and act in a way that is consistent with our motto? Do we invite and love on the people who are, on all imperfect people, the people who are different than us, you know, the people who sound different than us or look different than us, or are our words empty? You know, I'm not saying that we are a perfect church, but what James writes in his letter and what God desires for us is to be restored and whole. And to begin that journey, as believers in Jesus' ministry and, and, and teachings, we must have our actions and our words be consistent with the beliefs and values of Jesus. And that's what the journey looks like to restore our fractured and inconsistent lives. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we just desire for our voice to be yours, Lord. For our beliefs and values to be yours, God. And it's reflected through our actions and our words. Lord, allow us to uh, see the imperfect people that you have placed in our life, God to minister to them and love them the way that Jesus did and would, Lord. Yeah, we know that, that, that it will take time, Lord, that we just, that, that nobody's perfect, God. But if we continue to try, continue to, to, to work at it again and again, then each time we'll take a step forward into this path of restoration, into what you desire for us, God. So we just give you back all the glory and honor and praise, and in Jesus' name, amen.